Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 70 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 5. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Good morning. Hope everyone is doing well. And this is a great country that we live in. Amen. I know it's got its hiccups and we got our battles, but at least we got a country we can battle them in. Well, as we begin this uh, teaching to get to again today in Revelation, we'll be, if you want to open your Bibles, we'll go to Revelation chapter 4, which is where we'll be, what we'll be dealing with a lot uh, today. And I like to uh, do a, a few quotes or a, a quote in the beginning of this teaching as in the days of Noah. And uh, in this quote, one, another one comes to mind I don't guess you would use it in a pulpit, so I'll stand over here. Uh, John, John Lennon said, uh, life is what happens as you're making your plans. And uh, I'm just looking at this, <laughs> my past week of, of uh, that quote came to me as, you, know, you make all these plans, but life is what happens while you're making your plans. <laughs> Amen, John. That's all I can say about that. All right, that's all the Beatles we'll do this morning. Um, now, this is another one that's just uh, uh, aggravate your thinking a little bit if you let it. Uh, always remember that you are absolutely unique. And then the next part of this quote is, just like everyone else. Always remember that you are absolutely unique, just like everyone else. It'll sort of zing you a little. Then you're like, oh, yeah, well, all of us are unique. Now, the person, the lady who said this was Margaret Mead. There again, it's a, about like John Lennon. It's not that that's somebody that's in the Bible or something, but uh, uh, Margaret Mead, the reason I, I guess, had that quote on my mind was, she was an anthropologist. She was uh, she studied studied uh, human behavior. She was known. Uh, I think she was born early 1900s, maybe. I think that's right. Maybe a little later than that. But uh, you can actually get see teachings of her, but black and white. But she would go all into what they terminology then was used was savage. She would go to the savage. To, people, to countries that had savage people, they would say, in anthropology. And she was known for her studies and human behavior. And she did a lot, most of her work, a lot of her work was in New Guinea. And again, she was just a professional uh, lady in uh, anthropology. And she, uh, but she studied human behavior. And, and uh, the reason I had even read up on her a little more in times past a lot, but lately is that uh, her understanding was in uh, natural nature, male, female, and nature. And uh, then how much difference, uh, how much did culture play in the behavior of male and female? That was kind of her main forte you've got so she would go to what she would call savages and some some groups would be uh mild mannerly uh 
males would tend to have a role, females would tend to have a role, and where there was, um, where everybody, I don't know what the right word would be, but to these, and then to all of these tribes she studied, those tribes that people were nice, <laughs> so to speak, uh, she said there was tribes that people were just good. They were just nice to each other and helped each other. And the male tend to have a role to providing and protecting, and the female did have a role. And she said in those societies, that tended to be the natural behavior of, of humans. And then she, you'd find other little tribes to where one particular individual uh, would then rule the tribe, either through fear or through usually, the, you know, the strong survive or whatever. But you, you can insert your imagination here because she pretty much studied them all. And um, then how that one or two or three individuals, uh, their influence was so heavy that it even changed the role of male and female. And that was her study uh, back in that. It's, it's a lot of uh, studies that wouldn't mean much to pe some people, but for me, it always interested me. And so in that, in her studies, for instance, she proved how culture could even start changing, according to how strong it was, how it would start changing the behavior of natural male and female. And then, and of course, you can apply that to today and see what's trying to happen is, uh, and usually it was a small minority in the tribe or the group, that, but they were so forceful that if left in place long enough, then it would change the, the natural role of male and female. And then sooner or later, then the whole tribe would just break down. It, it, just, it just wouldn't work. So I just thought those are some things that are interesting to me, but that is one of her quotes. Always remember that you are absolutely unique, just like everyone else. And uh, as she was uh, making her case in the, in the early 1900s of uh, human behavior, it so was parallel with the Word of God. It just, I was like, but she was doing it from a, more of a, I guess, a scientific mind, a point of view, but saying how, so we, we can say that culture doesn't make a difference, but it does. Culture does make a difference because culture influences. You got the culture of a country, you got the culture of a church, you've got the culture of a home, of a family. Everything starts creating a culture and some things are uh, conducive uh, to good behavior, <laughs> I guess you could say, or, or the definitions just of male and a female. But anyway, that's Margaret Mead. I guess I said too much there. But the short summary of the book that I'm doing in Revelation, I started to drop the word short. But I thought I'd leave it one more week. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd leave it maybe one more week. Uh, summary of the book of uh, Revelation, all the attitudes of the seven churches, are found, of course, today. And actually, the reason I, mean, I put that in there is the, the seven churches is the main focus or that book that, uh, that applies to us is we can insert ourselves into it personally. And then when you insert yourself into the seven churches, 
with the idea in mind, the soon return of Christ, then that sets up a Christian uh, believer uh, to, create, to create a spiritual culture, if you will, of a church. That's the reason I alluded to her type thinking. And so this church, if we have the second coming of Christ, the seven churches of Revelation, the downfalls, the pluses, their minuses, if we have that in our DNA, it should set up a culture here that would be conducive to the Word of God. That's the idea. A lot of people have, it's all kinds of ideas come in on how what we should form a church after. Well, the, here's the latest new teaching. A lot of churches will make that the culture, you see, and, and which the culture that we're wanting to, to create here is that of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God includes uh, a lot of things, you know, a lot of different things. And there's so many, uh, I don't want to, I, I'm going to use the term new teachings out there, which in all honesty, it's, it's basically old teaching maybe in a new wrapper or in a new way to deliver it. It doesn't bother me at all. It's the same truth. And some uh, illustrations or the way we deliver things is more conducive to the time that we're living in. But so as we, to set up the culture of a church or of a family is important. Now, you always have people, individuals, trying to change a culture to, to one particular person's way of thinking. Now, the reason we do this thing here uh, on who's in charge here, and our goal is that, that Jesus Christ will, will be in charge here, our goal is to protect that, and that I'm not saying we fully achieve it, because of course I'm sure we don't. But that is what we're reaching for, hoping to get more revelation uh, each day. And that's very important, because if you're, um, you know, Moses spoke to God. God told him to lead Israel out of captivity towards promised land. Moses had this great calling, and Moses said, God, I wasn't very eloquent of speech before this, and I'm sure not eloquent now. Are you not sure you don't need to ask somebody else to lead your people? And then it says God got angry. I mean, that sounds like to me kind of a humble statement. I'm sure Moses was thinking that also. Evidently, God can read between the lines, could we say? And God was angry, and he said, Moses, this is not about you, it's about Israel. And you see, Moses was thinking about himself. I mean, when I stand up here, listen, this is not false humility. I know I'm not adequate to stand up here and to proclaim God's Word. But I've got this story in the back of my mind of Moses and what he said. So the best thing I know to do is I don't want to make God angry. So I'm saying, okay, God, I'll give it the best shot I got. And I'll stand before you given the best shot that I've got, understanding that it could use a lot of help, I am sure. But with, with that in mind, as a church, it's not what we think about ourselves. It's not that we're trying to make a name for ourselves. It's, it's not that we're trying to be the, the best church on the side of the road in Alexander County. 
our focus is not that cultural scene or focus. Our focus is that Christ, Jesus Christ, will be the one that we're looking to be in charge here. And as we say that, it's also in charge of our personal lives. And that is a little tough, isn't it? To, because I'm constantly reminded by the Holy Spirit daily. I don't know if you are or not. I'm, I'm catching on, uh, and there are advantages of being 70. After a while, when something's so repetitive in your life, you start to listen. And through the years, God's been so repetitive with uh, me on things in my life. At 70, I'm starting to catch on. I think I've heard that one before from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I about, and you start thinking, yeah, 10,000 times ago. So you start catching on to hearing the voice of God. And as I've gotten older, and we see this in Revelation, kind of where we're headed. Years ago, I had it more optional in my life about heeding the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is, it is a still small voice, is it not? It maybe won't let up, but it's still a still small voice. And in that still small voice, to take a second and say, I'm going to heed that voice and, and go and do this thing. To, to start heeding that still small voice with no evidence on why you should heed, just that you heard it, no evidence, nothing can convince your natural mind to move forward. It's the sheer obedience of the Holy Spirit that we move forward and do whatever the spirits uh, saying to do. And that's one reason I even mentioned John Lennon. Life is what happens if we're following the Holy Spirit as we're making our plans. A new and improved John Lennon. But so as we're living life led by the Holy Spirit, it will probably always interrupt our plans. There's nothing wrong with planning as long as you leave room for it to be interrupted. So, as we're seeing this with the seven churches, and, and as we've, we've done the seven churches, we're coming out of those seven churches. There again, I call myself doing a short summary. It will be changed next week to a summary of the book of Revelation. Now, this is, I, but I would love for you to be able to, I'd love to be able to give you some framework that would be seated in your mind. So, as you go to the book of Revelation in the future, uh, that you have some framework because when you just jump in the book, it almost seems like a <laughs> one of those bouncy ball houses or something. You just jump in it and it's just bouncy balls everywhere. But there is, is this book appears to be the most disorganized book in the Bible. And the truth is, it's the most organized book in the Bible. So it's and when we approach it, we tend to approach it that it's very disorganized, but it's not. So I'm just letting you know, it is tremendously organized. We just need to understand the framework. Now, one of the frame, the frame, I do the, the four main groups of sevens. When I'm studying God's Word, I, what we look at is, I like to look at the big picture, and then we get the big picture, and then we start bringing it down to individual uh, topics. So we got the seven churches, which we've been through those. Uh, 
And now we're in what we should call number seven, the Laodicean church age. Even though all seven churches are among us today, I have taught you already about the, kind of how that the seven churches also have uh, been a distinguishable age the last 2,000 years. Now we have what's called the seven seals. That's what we'll, we're going to hit right quickly. We've done through chapter 3. We're going to summarize a little bit chapter 4 and 5. Chapter 4 and 5 I'll do a little bit more in depth because 4 and 5, 6 through 19 is what you call tribulation basically. So the first three chapters, the first chapter is telling about the vision John had. Chapters 2 and 3 is talking about the seven churches. Then we get into chapters 4 and 5, and I'll give us a little more detail on that. Then we'll really summarize 6 through 19. Because if you do a deep dive on that, it's, uh, it's interesting to some, and to some it's, it's not that interesting. But it's not necessary to do a deep dive on 6 through 19. That's the reason I'm calling this somewhat a summary but also with a, uh, a touch of framework. So we see the seven seals uh, starts there in chapter uh, 6. And how do you know that it's chapter 6? Well, it's because that's where you have the four horsemen. Everybody's heard of the four horsemen, right? So the four horsemen are horsemen under seals 1, 2, 3, 4. All right, when you think of horsemen... You just know that they are revealed um, in, the, in the seven seals. And so we got chapters one, two, chapter one, sins alone. Got chapter two, three, seven churches. And we got four, five, which gives us all of a sudden John's in heaven. And we don't know what heaven looks like. We know Daniel had a few uh, revelations of that and, and Ezekiel, Elijah. They had some viewings, if you will. We get into four. All of a sudden, he goes into the throne. So four and five is about heaven, what heaven looks like. And then it also it starts getting into, okay, there's a dilemma in heaven because there's a scroll there, and it has uh, seven seals on it. And then you'll see in uh, chapter five that... We've got this scroll, they're sitting around in heaven, you got 24 elders and, and all of these, uh, be, the, the beast, uh, unfortunately the, it's called four beasts in some translations, it's actually four angels, but there it's called uh, beast. And so, but you got this view of heaven and it's like, like, oh my, oh my goodness. And then, but this scroll's there and, but nobody's worthy to open the scroll. That's in uh, chapter six. And then when we, so, so we start seeing that the seals is where the white horse, red horse, black horse, pale horse. Last week I showed you where I thought that the prophecy of Joel, I didn't show it today. Uh, I think we're somewhere about sixth seal during a time of earthquakes. I think that the first uh, seals, uh, I'm, I'm kind of torn. This is just me personally. I know that these things up through those seals, up through six, I understand that these seals have almost been open for 2,000 years or 
the spirit of them are here, and then you got a great finale opening of a seal. I'm not because scriptures gives us kind of two ideas there. There's no doubt that the first six seals there, we the, the earth has experienced it in the last uh, two thousand years. But you got to understand too, the seals aren't nece aren't necessarily they are not the great tribulation. Even though they'll be full blown in the Great Tribulation, you see what I'm saying. So it's a little hard to. The only thing I know is looking historically is the six seals. It almost looks like they've been opened, but they have definitely not maximized. That's 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 all we kind of know. That's the reason you got a lot of different ideas out there: pre-trib, mid-trib. Post-trib, I'm pre-tribulation rapture, but I'm always ready to to move it up a little if I miss the first load. You know what I'm saying? So it's just my opinion, and 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 I can tell you how much I think of my opinions. It's not a whole lot. So, but anyway, I'm always very flexible as a Holy Spirit, trying to learn how to keep navigating forward in this book. Um, and then we got what we call uh, the seven trumpets. And you see there the seven trumpets, and you know the last trump, right? There'll be a trump, the last, and you know, we got all these things going on with trumpets, and that's the reason some believe, well, that last trump, speaking about the catching away or the, or the rapture of the church, and then some people believe that the catching away or the rapture of the church doesn't happen until sep the seventh trumpet, uh, you know, all that stuff. I, I've told people, uh, I, I think I can hear the trumpets in heaven, so it's okay with me if I'm already there. Now, then we got the seven vials of the wrath of God. So you can, you can pretty much, uh, you got the book of Revelation. There's pretty much what's happening. Seven vials. You can see it soars upon men. Sea turns to blood. Rivers turn to blood. Uh, scorch men with fire. and all that. That's not happened yet. And I, historically, I can look back and say, I don't think that one's necessarily happened. Now, there are preterists, a preterist view, which believes all of this happened in... Uh, 67 A.D., 68 A.D. That's Preterist's view, thinking that most of the book of Revelation's already happened. And so now uh, the message is to give the gospel of the kingdom, which I'm not against. I'm totally for that. Uh, but that uh, the idea is things then will get better and better and better, and then uh, Jesus will return. Now, I'll be, if I said it before, I'll be very, very honest with you. Um, I wouldn't die over any of the different views. It's very interesting to me. My faith is in Jesus. If you come pre, I'm grabbing hold of you. If you come mid, I'm grabbing hold. If it's post, I'm, I'm grabbing hold. I'm just grabbing hold of Jesus ever how this thing works out. And I know enough about Scripture that I can tell each view has its merits even though I'm persuaded that the pre-tribulation rapture has more merit, but greater merit doesn't change the truth. That's our problem. God doesn't have to say something but one time, and it's just true. So do you stack up 10 scriptures versus two and then say, well, the 10's greater than the two? It doesn't work that way. Bible just doesn't work that way. God won't let you do that. Well, you can do it, but then you'll end up with... Uh, 200 different interpretations of the book of Revelation. So I hope to aggravate you enough that you'll continue, that you'll study it through. That's, that's, what, I, 
if I have a hope, that's a hope. And, there, and one reason is I don't agree with myself a year ago on certain topics of the book of Revelation. So I would be a fool to te dogmatically teach it one way, knowing that, uh, that God can move me to the right or to the left or up or down or whatever. And uh, my faith is totally trusting Jesus to interpret this book and that I'm going with him. That's my interpretation. But at the same time, he allows us to look at it and have uh, the different views. And so when I say I'm pre-tribulation rapture, I am. But this with all the caveats. As uh, uh, I tell people, for a short answer, I say I'm pre-tribulation rapture, uh, give or take six or seven years. And then, then I usually get a comeback on off of that one. But I, I'm not trying to say there's not a probably a perfect way to look at it. But I am saying that's maybe, I think I need to be prepared that I've got to go through tribulation. And I think I got to be ready to party if I miss it. Is that okay? That's a good thing. Is that all right? And, uh, and I, but I do have a lot of reasons why I think I'm free. But so then you got the seven vials of wrath of God. Now, <clears throat> you see this little blank space I have there, black space between the seals, trumpets, and vials of God. Uh, vials of the wrath of God. Okay, this is what we call a parenthetical pause. Now, y'all have heard me mention that term before. Parenthetical means a parenthesis. So when you read a sentence, and, in, in, and uh, you might say, uh, the skies are blue, uh, parentheses, except where there's clouds, and the sun is shining. So you got a parenthesis, which you stick in something, that maybe gives greater definition to the first part of the sentence and the last. And sometimes it looks like it doesn't have anything to do with it because if you take the, the parentheses out, it talks about clouds, you're like, well, what's that got to do with the beautiful? If you just take the parentheses out, then it loses meaning. Now, for some reason in scriptures, God does parentheses a lot. So therefore, you get different interpretations because it's a hermeneutical, you, you've, and it's in the Greek and the Hebrew, you can see it, something is parenthetical. When you get to the book of Revelation, there's quite a few things parenthetical. And if you take out these parenthetical things and then just read the Scripture without the parentheses, then all of a sudden you're, oh, okay, I got that. And then go back in and put in your parenthetical. Some, there's a place to a whole chapter's uh, parenthetical. So anyway, you can see why we can come up with a lot of different ideas. So that is what we call parenthetical pause. Now, is, now this is the reason I say this book has a lot of structure to it. This is, to me, unbelievable. But you got seven churches. You got a parenthetical. If you go to the scriptures between the sixth and seventh uh, seal, between the sixth and seventh trumpet, between the sixth and seventh uh, wrath, vials of the wrath, if you go to the scripture, there are parenthetical scriptures stuck right there, right before the last seal, uh, uh, trumpet, uh, judgment. All of a sudden, if you're reading through your scripture and you got to number six seal, then you'll jump in. Oh, what is this? What is this put in there for? And a lot of people laugh at me. I know or have a 
think that I'm not too bright because I still use a King James Bible, and I also use a King James Schofield Reference Bible. And, and the reason I do, in a Schofield Reference Bible, it'll say parenthetical, parenthetical starts here, ends here. That's all. It just shows you. Uh, I stand up here all the time quote dates. You know how I do it? It's in my Schofield Reference Bible. <laughs> I don't know when this was written. It's in, in between every page. A.D., uh, for instance, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 4, written in A.D. 96. It's right, it's right there. Every page. It puts you into a time period of when it was just, uh, he thought that was helpful to know that. And so that's why I, that's why I use it. <laughs> you know my secret, okay? All right. Now, but I want you to see the parenthetical pause, we call it. And I'm not saying other, uh, other uh, versions of the Bible. I think the chains has it some reference. Uh, that shows some of these things to a Bible student, because there's no way you can memorize all that. You've got to have something to guide you and walk you through where the parentheticals are. So we see that that happens right before the seventh on each one of those. And I think so. As you're reading through the book of Revelation, all of a sudden you get into this other wild. You're like, well, what's that doing in there? Then you've got to go through all these uh, verses, and then there's the seventh seal. You see, but everything in the middle is parenthetical. It maybe will apply uh, to the first six seals, and it may be won't. Most of the time it does, but there is sometimes you're like, this word, God, where did this come from? You see. But it's still pertinent information. If you try to tie it all together, it doesn't always tie. God just wants you to have the information. Now, what happens in the book of Revelation, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, John says he was called up uh, into heaven. So from four on, John has a, a, he's viewing this stuff from heaven, not from earth. Okay? He's viewing it from a heavenly perspective, not by an earthly perspective, from chapter four uh, on. Another interesting thing is the church is not mentioned in six through 19 ever again after chapter 4. You see. And that's is That's where you, some of us with pre-tribulation, uh, it's, we, we view these different things. It, it's just not there. It's not mentioned. He doesn't say that he necessarily took it out. But nonetheless, it's not ever mentioned anymore. It's all about Israel. And so you can see uh, some of the thinking. But it's very important as you're studying the book of Revelation to understand these parenthetical gaps right before. So can you not say that looks like the Holy Spirit did this on purpose? You see, and it does have structure. Once you see the structure, the book's not that big of a booger, to be honest with you. So, so for parenthetical uh, scripture, uh, parenthetical scriptures are just what the name suggests. They are passages that are inserted in the consecutive order of events. They explain events that take place along with the main order of events. But they do not necessarily take place in the exact point at which they are inserted. Does that make sense? And so once you realize these things and you're reading it, and the Holy Spirit will help you, I promise you. Then all of a sudden it starts making much more, oh, okay, this goes over here. And that's part of the fun, if you will, is this book, if you allow the Holy Spirit, 
it will be so revelatory to you. It'll be so personal to you. That's the reason it's hard to teach something that has to go personal. Are, are you with me? You can try to memorize it, but the, this book doesn't quite work that way. Okay, but now you can memorize framework, but then you start looking into the Scripture. Uh, there are many parenthetical scriptures throughout the Bible. Uh, such passages in the book of Revelation have caused many uh, erroneous interpretation ex expectations for the end times. And I'll show you a few examples here, not that you'll see all of these, but there's Revelation 7. Uh, you have groups of the two groups of the redeemed, seven trumpets and priestly angel. Three woes are announced, the mighty angel. Uh, verses 1 to uh, the temple of the holy city. Now, all these are parenthetical. Seven statements are made in the parenthetical there in chapter 14. Sea of glass is actually parenthetical in 15 and three unclean frog spirits, which I'm sure you heard a lot of sermons on that one in chapter uh, 16. 17, you have mystical Babylon, which I will get into just a little bit. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, here again, you see that there's four groups. You see that? Four groups. Get, get that in your mind. Four groups of seven. Y'all have heard me say this before. But the angels, the seals talks about it's what I call the short uh, the long version if you go through the seals it's what I call the long version of the story of the book of Revelation then the next one the uh, when Jesus returns I call it a shorter story and when you get in that last three and a half years it's definitely a short story okay so that's you're having the same story basically with different detail but still it's the same story and it tells it with different detail. And then that's the longer than the shorter, just different details. It's the same story about the second coming. So you can start seeing, oh, this book's about the second coming of Christ. It's about Christ, you know, in his second coming. So that's the reason the book of Revelation is big, not so much in the end times as it is about the second coming of Christ. Here's what this thing uh, looks like. Now we see that you're dealing in this book of Revelation basically with three kingdoms. It's the kingdom of God, which is a supernatural realm. So why do we here at New Life tend to... Uh, I know we're more talk about the supernatural than what we can produce. I get it. I don't have any problem with that. But how are you going to catch a star if you don't reach for it? That's right. Right? So, so I understand that we proclaim more than we're actually experiencing. But we've been given instructions to reach for it. So we want to reach for the supernatural realm because of the book that tells us to do that. And you know how it is. Sooner or later, you're liable to grab hold of something. And, and then you have the kingdom of this world, which is the natural realm. That's uh, not in itself uh, that terrible. You can live in the kingdom of this world. And we do live in it and have to live in it, but uh, we have to understand it and recognize it. Then you have the kingdom of Satan, which is an unnatural realm. So you've even got, when you're dealing with natural, I told a preacher the other day that he was talking to me about something. I said, I just long for the day we just have regular sin. Just, just regular sin, you know what I'm saying? And uh, because now we're, ha we're in such so much of the unnatural realm, we have unnatural sin. You've got natural sin of a natural world. Then you've got unnatural sin 
that comes from the unnatural world or being influenced by the unnatural world. We are born into sin. I understand that. That's where we have to deal with it in our own flesh. We're here to have a disciplined Christian life. I get it. But did you know that you can get into a sin that is bigger than you? Now, there's certain sin, the natural realm, that we are supposed to take care of. But then you can get into an unnatural realm or sin. Then you got demonic activity behind it. You got demonic activity trying. So when I'm talking with somebody, or if I pray for somebody, or whatever the issue is, and this is just inside of me, first thing I'm, if it's a problem or a sin or what, first thing I'm, first thing that happens to me is this a natural, unnatural sin. You see, then you say, well, do they? They're demonized. Well, if if it's natural sin, not usually, but habitual natural sin leads to unnatural sin. That's good. You see. So, but if it gets into the unnatural realm, then you know you've got that person to deal with, plus it's buddy demon. All right, is the demon in them or out? Is it any idea or whatever? Only thing I can tell you is you got another, you got a demon to deal with. All right, because you got this influencing uh, demon. And I'll even go as far as to say this, this. Some people with demons are influencing people that are that don't have a demon. So therefore, you need to break that friendship. That's good, Al. That's right. That's just right. Because they have a strong, powerful influence over you, that demon does, through an individual. And that's when you're submitting to a demon and not Christ. Everybody with me? And so, um, anything, I'll say this, anything that is addictive in nature has a demon behind it, or or has a spirit behind it. Let me just put it that way. Has a spirit. That's what causes it to become an addiction. You see, what a what a what a what a dark spirit does. Take alcohol. Take drugs. Take whatever. Take anything that's an unnatural sin. You have that spirit has to convince you that that's you. That's doing it. Wow. <clears throat> that's what it has to do. It has to convince you that you have to have the alcohol. That's an easy one. But it has to convince you. Once you can, you're convinced that that's you, then you just yield. Well, this is just me. Well, no, it's not. That's good, Al. You see. And that's the reason we have to disassociate with demonic spirits when we're dealing with the unnatural realm. Does that make sense? And so as we get into this in the book of Revelation, we start seeing these things. And uh, I, uh, uh, there again, it's, it's, it's what I do. Some people go fishing, some play golf, and I watch... Uh, uh, um, People who have just like Mead or whoever, I'll watch a lot of times things that people have different psychosis or psychological disorders, and they'll have a case that's uh, using colleges or wherever. This is a psychosis. This, and I watch these things, and I'm thinking you can tell when it's a demon or the individual lacks discipline. 
Now, here's the problem. Anytime you do not apply discipline long enough, you will fall off into an unnatural realm. Because what happens is, I had a dream one time, and in the dream, this, uh, let me do the short version. In the dream, people in sin had an odor. And in the dream, the demons did not have eyes. But they could smell. And in the dream, the odor of people would draw that odor, would draw that demon. Now, you can be in sin, whether you know it or not, you're probably putting off a spiritual fragrance that will draw demons. Test what I say. That's That's but that was, in a, that, was, that was in a dream that I had. So, what you can do, somebody that has a problem with drugs, they can say, well, I'm going to get out of my hometown, and they'll go to their aunts or uncles. I'm just going to get right away from all my friends. They can go out on the street. I promise you within 30 minutes, somebody's walking up to them ready to sell. Now, you can ask people after people after people how many you want to. I'm telling you the truth. Those demons will find you. Don't think you're hidden. You're just like Adam and Eve. You ain't got enough fig leaves to cover this one. The demons will find us in our sin. I was dealing with a guy one time with pornography. He'd meet with me weekly and we'd talk and he was doing fantastic, and he came, this was, do y'all remember, this was in this county, do you remember when the county used to put dumpsters at different places? Y'all remember that? You didn't have to go to, a, the, to, a, to an inconvenience place. They, they were just stuck everywhere. Well, people, you know, abused it, and they got stacking stuff and throwing around them where they couldn't even dump them. But, but at that time, you had these dumpsters that you just put your stuff in. Well, he come to me one day and said, Alan, you're just, you're just not going to believe this. He said there were uh, six or eight dumpsters at this place. He said, I went to throw out my trash. So I looked in the dumpster, and it looked like somebody must have emptied uh, a porno store or something in that trash. In the, it's, he said, Alan. I promise you, I bet a third of the dumpster was full of pornography. I said, come on. He said, no, I'm not kidding. He said, now, why did I go to that one? I said, I've already told you why. He said, yeah, but I didn't believe you. He was drawn to it. So the only thing I'm trying to heighten you to is this possibility of what happens in the spirit world. Now, good news. The Holy Spirit will do the same thing. Amen. The Holy Spirit will draw you. That's, Come on. That's good. Now, it doesn't take a perfect heart to be drawn. It takes a repentive heart to be drawn. Excellent. Good. Are, are, are you with me? Yeah. And so we want to be drawn by the Holy Spirit. So we're wanting to understand when we're few. I'm wanting you to look at the book of Revelation and the Holy Spirit. It'd be such a personal encounter that all of a sudden you're like, wow, yeah, I get that. Okay, yeah, I get that. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I, I get that. And it's like I've told y'all before, I, I'm, I'm sure the worst person in this room as far as memorizing something. I can't memorize anything. But if I can see it, 
you never take it from me. I got it. If I see it, if I see, if I see it, I've got it. And I believe that's the way God's people are. I want God, but you have to see it by direction of the Holy Ghost. I can give instruction, but still, it takes a personal investment on all of our parts with the Word of God before it becomes ours. Amen? So good. Okay, we... So good. This summary might go home to Jesus comes. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this day. Thank you for your Word. Yes. And Lord, you know our deal. If there's anything that I've said that's not of you, I pray it'll fall to the ground. People overlook it. But if anything's of you, I pray that it'll be quickened to our hearts as truth. And Lord, I pray when we come up short, we know for some reason you have chosen to be faithful and to forgive us of our sin. Yes. And I am so grateful that your message, I'm glad you thunked it up. I'm glad you're going with it. So, Lord, we love you. We ask and pray for forgiveness where we have failed you and come up short. But, Lord, we want to be guilty of being a people that can repent. That's right. Turn our hearts back towards you. That you might draw us into a greater way. Yes. A way that's above our ways. It's called the heavenly highway. Call us this day in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.